0: Psalm 42. As a deer pants flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I will go to the throne and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I must remember you, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hope in God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Most holy, most merciful Father, I thank you for this word that you've given us. I thank you for the Psalms. You know that it's not easy for us to come before you it's not easy for us to express our feelings. Even feel silly to, to, to talk about feelings and emotions at times. I pray that this word would break through um, our hearts. That your spirit would work in us. That your word would change us. Be with us this morning. And speak to us, we pray. Amen. As we, as we consider uh, this psalm, what we're going to do, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about, um, from this passage, what are the barriers to our lamenting? What, what are the barriers to our lamenting? Then we're going to talk about the way of lament, the way and the process of which the psalmist is teaching us how to come before God in the midst of our pain. And then, finally, we're going to look at the joy that comes through lament. So first, the, the barriers of lament. I think the first thing we're going to notice here is that he's got enemies, <laughs> So the psalmist is in the midst of expressing a painful situation. The psalmist is an exile. He's away from his community. He's away from, from the promised land. And he's in exile. And he's asking God to rescue him, to deliver him. He's saying, God, you are my life. <laughs> As a deer pants for living water that it needs for life, so I pant for you. You are my life. And in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his crying out to God to to rescue him, to deliver him, to be his refuge, what do we find? We find God apparently not acting. We find, even at the end of the psalm, that he's still in exile. That his situation hasn't changed much. And his his enemies say, listen, if your God was alive, then where is he? Where is your God? It's a question that's repeated twice. First, we see it in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? This question haunts this passage. And again, we see it in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? His enemies are taunting him with this question. If your God was alive, if he was powerful, as you say he is, if he can act, then where is he? Have you ever asked that question to God? Where are you? Like most, of us, most of us are being honest right now. Yes, we have. It's a haunting question to come to. In the midst of life's trials, where are you? And to this question, and to these barriers that keep us from from pressing in to to our pain and to our fears, we have another enemy, not just external enemies, but an enemy in Satan that seeks to devour us, right? He's the father of lies, and when trouble comes our way, he whispers in our ears, where is your God? When trouble comes, and God is seemingly silent and asleep, Where is he? And ultimately, I think that we're a little bit afraid of the answer to that question. That question comes into our ears, and, and and we're fearful of the answer. Like, what happens if God doesn't answer us? What happens if God doesn't swing down immediately to the rescue? So instead of bringing our questions and our fears and our pains to God, that question comes to us, where is God in the midst of this pain? We don't know what to do with it, and so we shrink. Right? We don't enter into lament. Because we ultimately, we struggle to trust that God is there to hear our complaints at all. And because we don't, we don't believe that he's there, can do anything, we, we shrink. And we're too fearful to find out the answer to that question. So we give up, we suck up the pain, we move on with a weak smile on our face, and we fake it. Now, if there's anything you learn in church, if you've been in church a long time, is that it's easy to fake it, right? It's easy to learn the answers to the questions that people are asking, to say the right things, to put a smile on your face. When someone asks, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Oh, I'll pray for you, you know? Right? It's easy for us to go into Christian mode. And we fake it. We think that, nah, these, my pain is, it can't be dealt with anyway, so I'm just going to hold it in. And I imagine there are many of us, even in this room, who fake it. I, I fake it plenty of times, right? Because I wonder, is there deep down there's that question, where is your God? I wonder if anyone can actually help me. Is there any relief from my pain, from my struggles? And it doesn't matter if I'm the one that's causing the pain. You know, there's, there's a couple different ways that pain and suffering comes to us. One way is it's self-induced, right? It's because of our own sin, our own mistakes put us in precarious situations at times. And so we wonder, is God big enough to help me out of this? Then there's those other things where it's the effects of sin in the world through disease, through sickness. We see suffering across the world. Oh, we see suffering in our own lives, in our own families. We see death. We see disease. And we wonder, is God big enough to handle this? Well, the, the psalmist actually knows these barriers quite well. He's, he's living them. He's living in captivity. He's living with his enemies lording over him. And he teaches us actually how to work through our pain and to overcome these barriers that seem so impossible. The first thing you notice is there's a brutal honesty from the psalmist. You know, sometimes if you've ever read the Psalms of Lament, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I think about this often. I think to myself, can you really say that? <laughs> I don't. Can you say that to God? Like the end of Psalm 88 ends with, darkness is my only friend. Can you, can you say that? Are you sure that this is a song book? Is this, yep, it's the Bible. Are you, can you say that? You know what's crazy too is Jesus actually sang these songs. <laughs> and on the cross, Jesus quoted a psalm of lament, Psalm 22. There's this brutal honesty that the psalmist is demanding and showing us before God that sometimes we're uncomfortable with. But the psalms teach us to, to be honest and brutally so, because God can actually handle it. God can handle your honesty. He knows what's there anyways. He can handle it. And He actually wants it. The Psalms draw us out and teach us, listen, God can not only handle your honesty of what's happening in your heart, but He wants you to be honest with Him. This is amazing. And it's freeing. Listen to what He says. He, at the beginning of, of Psalm 42, He says, "...as a deer pants for flowing streams." A deer planting for flowing streams is a deer that needs water, right? And what does water give us? Well, water gives us life. (laughs) Without water, the deer dies. He's saying, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. You are my life. You are my living God. And what does he get? Does he get the living streams? (laughs) Does he get the flowing streams from the mountain? I just picture this mountain meadow, you know, and the deer's running up to it. And instead of finding the flowing streams, the deer finds a wet rock to lick, right? And the psalmist is getting the bitterness of his tears to eat day and night. If you're really thirsty, I don't know if you've ever been working before and you get really sweaty and all of a sudden you start tasting your own sweat, does that quench your thirst at all? No. Actually, It does the opposite. It makes you more thirsty. And so he's saying, God, I I long for you, I'm looking for you, and yet I have nothing. He doesn't stop there. He in verse nine he talks about being forgotten. He says, "I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy?" Saying, "God, you've forgotten me. I'm in mourning and I'm oppressed." And he actually repeats this uh, in a similar way in verse two, but it actually of, of Psalm forty-three. But it actually gets worse. <laughs> he says, "For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression?" Of my enemy, so he's been rejected. He hasn't just been forgotten, but he's been rejected by God. He needs mourning, and he's oppressed. There's a Christian counselor in Seattle by the name of Dan Allender, and and he's got this. He's got a lot of great writings on lament and pain and suffering. And he says this about lament. He says a lament is the battle cry against God that paradoxically voices a heart of desire and faith in his goodness. A lament is a battle cry against God that paradoxically voices a heart of desire and faith in his goodness. So it's only in lamenting and in lamenting and being honest before God that you actually show a heart of desire and faith in God. It's beautiful. And he actually says this. I don't know if you noticed this when I was reading these verses, but in verse 9 he says, I say to God, my rock... Why have you forgotten me? Why am I mourning? Why am I oppressed? I say to God, my refuge, why am I rejected? Why am I mourning? Why am I oppressed? All these complaints are couched in God. Listen, I know you're the rock. I know you're my refuge. I know your love is steadfast. Now, where are you? See, in lament, it's the cry of the one who believes, the one who trusts that God's love really is steadfast. The one who screams out, God, I know you're steadfast. No, act like it. Act like you say you are. And in lament, lament moves us towards God. I think sometimes it's, it's easy to think of lament as a type of grumbling. But, but lament and grumbling, or this kind of complaining, whining, are two different things. In grumbling, you've actually already made up your mind about someone. You know, it's like you're grumbling about a spouse or about a coworker or about a boss. You're like, oh man, they're just the worst, right? That's not what's happening here. Lament is something that happens with an expectation that something will happen and something will change and somehow God will breathe life into this situation. And we don't need to hold anything back. It's actually the sign of a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is the one that you're honest in that you're talking about your problems, that you're bringing up problems when you have them, and you work through them together. And that's what's happening here. There's a relationship happening with God. And The other thing we notice is not just that it's honest, but it requires a particular imagination. The psalm is demanding an imagination, an imagination of progression that moves us towards God. The movement is slow, but it's there. We see this in... In verse 4, he says, These things I remember. He's remembering. He's reimagining. In his exile, he's remembering his time when he wasn't in exile. He's remembering the goodness of God. He says this As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He's remembering the worship of God's people. He's remembering being in the presence of God and his people praising him. We see this again actually happening. In verse 6, he moves from remembering these the good old days with God and his people, worshiping, praising him, to actually remembering God Himself. He says, In my God, in verse 6, my soul was cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. Right? I remember you, God. From this place of exile, I remember you. And this gives him hope. In the midst of his exile, the memory, the imagination that God actually is good, that in the past He 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 did act, He can have hope and light in this particular moment. We actually experience this often um, when we have when we remember our baptism, when we remember our confessions of faith, you know, there are things that we look back to, even in the midst of troubles, to say, no, God has set me apart. My my faith is in Christ. I remember this. It's a memorial. And you see this all throughout Scripture. When God acts, when God does amazing things, they often build this memorial that they look to to remind them of God's actions and acts in their life. And that's what he's doing in his mind with his imagination in the midst of his trial. He's saying, God, I remember you. Even if it's this faint memory, he remembers And the the last thing we'll talk about with the way of lament is these refrains. These refrains that happen. These refrains that happen three times kind of break the psalm up into three different parts. Um, The first part is verses 1 through 5. Then it's verses 6 through 11 then Psalm 43. And it ties these all together. He's got this complaint before God. He's got a memory. And then his enemies are lording over him. And he says this lament. I mean this, this refrain. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall look and praise him, my salvation and my God. What he's doing is he's actually preaching the truth to himself. He's preaching the gospel to himself in the midst of this trial. He's saying, listen, soul, why are you cast down? Because I need to hope in God. And I shall again praise him. I will again be where that memory had me with God's people in the presence of God, giving him praise. We can have hope in the darkness because he will come through. And this hoping bids us to come, to wait, and to trust. The psalmist is essentially saying to himself, he's saying, Listen, my my enemies mock me. My enemies mock you, God. But you are real. I know you're real. I've experienced your realness. I've touched, I've tasted, I've seen. And I will hope in you. Because you are all I have. And into into this, he moves in Psalm 43 to, to talking about the light and the truth of God. He says, God, just send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me back to your holy hill, to your dwelling. The light and the truth of God defeat the enemy of darkness and lies. And he's praying, he's asking God to send the light and the truth into a situation to defeat his enemies. Because with the light and the truth of God, we actually don't have to fear the pain and despair because we have confidence that God is there with us in it. One of the more um, extreme examples that I can think of that deals with this type of, of uh, despair and light in the darkness um, happened during World War II. I was always fascinated with World War II as a kid, reading about it, um, and the tragedies that happened, wondering how this could have happened in a modern, you know, sophisticated world. And one story that stands out um, comes from a book called The Hiding Place. I don't know if you've ever read that, but if you haven't, Hiding Place is a short um, Work written by Corrie Ten Boom, a survivor of um, the Holocaust, and you should definitely look into that book. But in this book, um, they're they're in Holland. Her family, the Ten Boom family, is in Holland, um, and they're they're watchmakers. And once Holland becomes occupied by Nazis, they find themselves um, they find themselves with Jewish people on the door, uh, wanting to be hidden because they they're known to um, to love. Um, Jewish brothers. And so they, they bring them into hiding. They build this um, hiding spot on the side of their house in this place where they hide Jewish people. And as you can imagine, eventually um, the Nazis find out about this and, they're, and the family's arrested. And Corey and Betsy are removed to a woman's, eventually they, they end up at this woman's um, prison camp and, um, where they were and, and her sister actually dies in this prison camp. And Corey eventually gets released, but she gets released on a technicality, and like weeks after she was released, the people that she was with were all sent to a gas chamber and died. (laughs) But she was released, and she got to write this, this story about her life, and not just about her life, but about God's working in the midst of this darkness, and how they saw God move in the midst of the most heinous evils, evils that none of us have probably ever seen. And in the midst of that, Betsy Ten Boom, days before her death, says this. She goes, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still that's not written tritely right that's not written by someone who hasn't experienced pain but it's true there's no pit that we could find ourselves in that God is not there and so we don't need to run or hide from our pain And this is where we move to see the psalmist actually inviting God into his pain. You know, Psalm forty-two is kind of a internal dialogue that's happening. In Psalm 43, he moves to say, Oh God, defend my cause. God, come into this place. Be with me. And it's here that we learn and we experience that the way to exceeding joy is to the doorway of despair. The way to exceeding joy is through so the doorway of despair. Joy comes through pain, not through its absence. You know, it's easy for us to believe that suffering is our ultimate enemy. But the, the psalmist teaches us the opposite, that, it's, that, that this exceeding joy that he experiences here is found only through his despair. Right? He doesn't gain exceeding joy until he's processed through his pain, through lament. He says, when you come, I will be with you and I'll be filled with joy. Notice, even as he's saying this, he is yet to be delivered. Physically, he is still in prison, but he's longing for the day, and he knows the day will come when God will come. He knows that his hoping and his waiting is not in vain. And this, this happens because through lament, through the process of bringing our fears and our desperations to God, we pour ourselves out to God, a God who is really there. A God who hears us and a God who answers us. And this gives us joy because God is the only one who can actually handle our pain. Right? We don't have to live with suppressed fears and sufferings, but we can actually know be known by God. Because hiding our pain, putting on a good smiling face is exhausting. Right? Telling everyone that you're good when you're anything but good is, depresses us and it wears us out. And we don't have a God who knows this, who knows our pain and suffering from a distance, but a God who actually knows our pain and suffering very intimately through Jesus. And in Hebrews 4, 14, the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus knows our pain. And it's through His pain... It's through His desperation on the cross that we actually find our everlasting hope. You know, there there is no resurrection without the crucifixion. And through His death, through His pain is the doorway of salvation, our lasting hope and joy. This is the beauty of the gospel that that God knows our pain and he takes our pain seriously and he says, listen, come to me and you will find mercy and grace that will help you in your time of need. So we don't have to hide our pain, but we can wage war with God. We can be brutally honest with our struggles. And through that, we will actually grow in our relationship with him because we can have the joy that comes from his mercy and grace shining in the darkness because there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. We don't need to hide. That's a freeing thought, isn't it? That God invites us to bring our pain and our suffering to him. So how can we do this in our lives? How can we grow in this? How do we, how do we take steps towards this kind of honesty before God? I think one of the, the simplest things that we can do As we can learn to pray the psalms. We can learn to pray the psalms of lament. There's actually lots to choose from. There are plenty of psalms to choose from. Um, uh, The the Christian counselor I I, I quoted a little while ago, Dan Allender, was on the radio once, and he was talking about Psalm 44, which consequently comes after Psalm 43. And uh, it's another psalm of of corporate lament. They're, They're lamenting, they're being defeated in battle. And as he's talking about this, this, this 64-year-old um, woman actually calls, calls him and tells him a story. She said, my grandson was murdered two weeks ago by, uh, by a group, by a gang. And she was distraught, as you can imagine. And what she did was she actually prayed Psalm 44. She said, line by line, day by day, I prayed this psalm. And so I got to the end, and she says this. And at the end of the Psalm 44, it talks about the steadfast love of God. The woman says this, she goes, When the psalmist called God good, I had to do the same. When the psalmist called God good, I had to do the same. See, in praying the psalm, it actually forces us to process our feelings and our emotions. Um, and it moves us, because lament is actually not the ends, right? Lament is not the point. Lament moves us to the ends of, of joy, of praise, of being in the presence of God and so we need someone to actually help us process, to know our emotions and feelings, so we can be honest with God. And the Psalms also help push us, to progress us, move us forward, so that we can know that in the midst of our struggle, God is still good, and that you're not alone in your pain. Another, the other way that I think we can do this is we can actually learn to lament with each other. I think this, this takes a couple forms. For one, if, if you're in pain, if you're struggling having the boldness to actually ask for help. Um, We need to have the boldness to seek help, to maybe be a little bit more honest when someone asks us how we're doing. And if you unload on a person and a person wasn't ready for it, well, then they shouldn't have asked how you're doing. (laughs) So we need to learn how to actually be honest with each other. The other thing we need to do is actually, um, and maybe this is weighted heavier, um, is we need to actually seek each other out. You can tell sometimes, most of the time, if we're honest, when someone's not doing well. And sometimes we're just kind of like, we, we tiptoe around that person and we kind of like sneak out that door right there. You know? Because we don't know what, how to deal with it because we're uncomfortable with other people's pain. <laughs> but we need to learn how to actually seek people out. Because when you're in, in the process, especially if you're in the raw parts of pain and, and despair, you actually don't even know how to process those feelings yourself. And so you need somebody to step out to call you out Jen and I experienced this um, once, shortly after we were, we were married. Our first uh, pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And uh, miscarriage is a difficult thing to go through for several reasons. For one, the obvious, you lose your child. And that's painful. It's still painful. The other thing is, uh, people don't know what to do with miscarriage, and so they often say silly things like, oh, see, that's why you shouldn't tell people you're pregnant until your second trimester, because it hasn't taken yet. I've had people say that to us. Um, and that's why I actually, whenever anyone's, there's a little side, whenever anyone's pregnant, I actually tell them, you know what, don't wait to announce this. Announce this today, because we rejoice today. And if there is pain, if the, if the child doesn't make it to, um, to being birthed, we can actually mourn with you. Because my imagine, I'd imagine that there's actually probably people in this room that have had miscarriages and you haven't told anybody. And no one knows. And that's a lonely place to be. But in this pain of, of having a miscarriage, you know, especially being a guy... We were, we were married in our first year of marriage. I didn't know how to process that pain. I was finishing up my Bible college degree. My wife was struggling to learn how to process that pain. You know, you have the hopes for the child. As soon as you find out, especially your firstborn, you find out you're pregnant, it, what do you start doing? You start imagining everything. You start buying things. You start, okay, what color is room going to be? And, you know, what kind of, you know, diaper bag am I going to get? You start to imagine and line up all these things. And then you find out it's, it's not there. The baby died. And into that situation, we had some friends at our church who had gone through a miscarriage before, and they knew the pain. And they invited us to their home, and they just started weeping. And it gave us permission to actually weep. Before that moment, I didn't know what to do with it. But their weeping, their knowing our pain and entering into it for us, and leading us into the process, is a beautiful picture. That's what the gospel does, and that's what we need to do for each other. We need to enter into each other's pain, and maybe even weep for each other, um, lastly, and this is something we're actually going to do during our prayer time today, is we can actually model it in worship. <laughs> you know, when we gather together, we worship, and we have our, our, our liturgy that works just to the gospel story. Um, if there's no room for us to lament in our worship, then it's hard for us to learn how to lament in the midst of living out the gospel story. And so lament is, is something that we need to learn how to practice. It's not just Christ church, but this is a this is a Western U.S. church problem that we don't know how to deal with our pain um, corporately. So we need to learn this together because the more we do this actually publicly, corporately, the more people are actually going to feel comfortable. Oh, so I'm not the only one that's struggling today, right? And, and I think it will actually open us up to be able to learn how to do this with one another more. And hopefully this will teach us when the floodwaters rise that we can have the courage of the psalmist to bring our complaints and our fears and our despairs before God who is there in the midst of them, the God who hears you. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, you are our hope, you are our help, and you are ever-present in our time of need. I pray that you would be with us now, that you would give us the courage to hope in you, you give us the courage to bring our fears and our despairs before you and before our brothers and sisters, and that you would strengthen our community to be able to lift each other up and encourage one another. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.